This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we will be giving an overview of the entire book of Leviticus. So buckle up. That's right. And we do have a presentation for today, so uh, go ahead and open that up. But before we get started, we just want to mention that we, we're we still working on gathering um, information about discussion groups around the country. So if you have a discussion group that is happening, we would love to hear from you. So go to baymontestablishment.com, use the contact form, and send us... Um, your your name, an email that people can contact you from, and a general area where it's where it's happening. Right, and then so day got, and time. Right. Yeah. So we got like groups in uh, Missoula. We got groups in Southern California, and groups kind of all around Indiana, New York. So if you've got a group, just give us like a name. Like we're just going to call them Bema Irvine or Bema Missoula. I heard or, about a, a Florida group. Yeah. Today, some Florida listeners down there. So Bema Fort Myers, Bema Kick Coral. So we're just going to call it that, and all we need is a, we're not going to post your personal information other than just a contact name, and we're assuming email would be that best contact, but that's all we're going to post. So that's somebody. Uh, the idea here is that we can, if we network and collaborate, we can do a lot more. A, I want to know that you're out there. If you're listening to this podcast, I meet people every single day who send me, almost daily, literally, uh, people send me emails. I listen to your podcast. I live in Indiana. I live in, in Oklahoma. And, uh, and I, I love to know that you guys are out there, especially if you've got a group so that if I'm ever in the area, I would love to come say hi. And it's always fun to meet, uh, Bema pod if you will, and, uh, be able to talk to them and, and answer questions and have a fun evening together and do that. But then there's also emails I get all the time. I wish I could study with people. And sometimes there's a group that's actually not too far down the road. And I love to know about it because... Somebody could be listening to the podcast. There could actually be another person or two or five that listen to the podcast. And you guys could form your own Bama discussion group. And so I'd love to be able to network that and, and hook you up together. And that would be awesome. So the more that we know about each other, the more we can do stuff together and for each other. So um, not trying to build an empire here. That's for sure. <laughs> empire and Shalom. Not yeah. trying to do that. No. We don't need to do any of that. But we do want to like use the harness the power of the World Wide Web and uh, and try to connect us in a world that can be connected. So if you've got those, if you've got a group, if you're a listener out there and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'd love to talk about this with other people, uh, send us, even send us that, send us that and say, it's just me, but I would love to put my name on the list. And if anybody were in the area, I'd love to get together and we can map that on the website. And uh, it's pretty exciting to think about that. So if you listen and you wouldn't mind putting your name out there, and an email, uh, let us know, please, because it'd be great to put that out there. All right, so let's do Leviticus. All right, yeah, we're going to, this is always hard. Like, I feel like there's two ways to do Leviticus. You can do it from like the 10,000 one podcast view, which is what we're going to do, or you can like dive into verse by verse by verse. And I, to be honest, I haven't found a good source for that yet that I could recommend here. Um, there used to be a sermon series a long time ago, but it's long past uh, being on the internet, they've taken that down a long time ago. Um, but, uh, we did have a sermon series at real life that we did. It's maybe a little bit more. We did a seven week. Was it seven, six weeks, seven or six. Okay. Yeah. So we did a, we did a little sermon series where we kind of walked through it a little bit more in depth and, uh, Brent will put a link to those sermons in our show notes. Um, that we did here at the church at real life on the Palouse. Uh, but, um, yeah, so we're going to do the whole thing in one shot. So, it might be hard to believe, but 
We're going to do that. You missed a third alternative, Marty. What is that? We could not talk about it at all. We could just not talk about it at all. That's what a lot of... <laughs> That's what a lot that's of that's the most common. Yeah, that's by what a lot far. Of Christians in church do. Like, who needs Leviticus? Like, blah, right? No, Leviticus is awesome. And I hope that today, by the time we're done, we can blow this thing open and, and give you a whole new appreciation for Leviticus. Like, I've never heard it explained now. Now I could actually read Leviticus because I have like a blueprint and a roadmap. And now I can understand a little bit about what's going on. So, no review today. I'm, I'm just making an executive decision. Breaking the mold. You have the authority, sir. Yeah, all right. We're just skipping that. And uh, Okay, so we've spent the last three podcasts just talking about the tabernacle alone. Um, we, we talked about the tabernacle in a lot of different ways. The last podcast, we talked about creating a space uh, for, for God to, to move and work, and we talked about spiritual disciplines. Uh, the podcast before that, um, and, and the podcast before that, we were talking about Sinai in another way. And Mr. Brent, can you remember how we were talking about Sinai in that regard? Uh, it was like a marriage. Yeah. Like God's, a, God's marriage to his people. Yeah. Big gigantic wedding ceremony at Mount Sinai. And so if you look at that uh, on your slides there, I have a picture of a, that's a, where they're right on the border of Egypt and Israel at a place called Timnah, uh, sits a model tabernacle. And um, yeah, it's a real, it's a life-size model. So you can get an idea of how it would have felt, uh, even though. Uh, it's not made of the same stuff by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it, it helps to give you a, a picture there. Um, but I have on there the tabernacle. If we were to if we were to keep thinking about it in terms of marriage and in terms of the wedding at Sinai, the tabernacle is um, a honeymoon suite. It's really what it is. It's uh, uh, it's that place where the 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 wedding the marriage is consummated. This is where God has an intimate relationship with his people. In fact, the table, what we know as a table of showbread, which sits inside the tabernacle. Um, we never really talked about the items and the articles inside there. We might do that some other time. Uh, but the table of showbread, uh, or the table of presence, sometimes it's called, is actually literally the table of faces. And it gives this image the rabbis teach of intimacy. Uh, this is where God sits down intimately with his bride. And so this is a honeymoon suite. Now, another way to look at this, and I almost hate this, I almost hate this about myself, but I have to use it. Um, I, I've always hated it when people talk about the Bible as like basic instructions before leaving earth um, or <laughs> life's owner's manual. I always hate those metaphors. But having said that, one way to just start to get a handle on Leviticus is Leviticus is the owner's manual in the glove box of the tabernacle. Here's what I mean by that. You've finished Leviticus. You've just been at Mount Sinai. There's been this gigantic wedding. And then you spend the next 20 chapters of Exodus going over this tent that God has you make in the middle of the desert. And you get done at the end of that story. And without Leviticus, you would, you would have this brand new tent that you carry around the desert. You would literally not know what to do with it. Like, what, what is this for? Like it's a place where God wants to dwell in the midst of his people. Okay. But why did we make it? So Leviticus ends up being this owner's manual in the glove box of the tabernacle. It's God's way of saying, this is what you do with the tabernacle. This is what it's for. This is how you interact with it. And so that's like a really basic way to get in, get into that. But I want to do something totally different today. It, it helps me understand Leviticus quite a bit better, uh, then this owner's manual that kind of gets me started. It kind of lets me go, okay, yeah, I kind of understand that. So let's go, let's go deeper. Okay. Uh, in order to do that, I want to go back to Exodus 19. 
Exodus 19, uh, 5 and 6, God says, uh, you got it there? Do you want to read it, Brent? Yeah. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's two things that stand out to me about that passage. On this next slide, I've kind of highlighted there the treasured possession. Uh, First of all, God says, um, if you agree to enter into this covenant relationship, you will be my treasured possession. Now that phrase, we may have even mentioned this a few podcasts ago, that phrase is the phrase that a groom uses for his bride. So we have that wedding imagery in there again. I just wanted to highlight that and point that out in passing. But then on the next slide, the part that I'm really going after here today is the kingdom of priests. Like God says, if you enter into this covenant, then what's going to happen if you choose to be obedient to the things that we're going to do together in this relationship? You're going to be for me a kingdom of priests, Uh, which raises this question, which we have next on the slides there. What is a priest? See, they, this group of people has been where for the last few centuries, Brent? Uh, in Egypt. Yeah, and they've apparently been slaves, and they don't... I'm sure they're familiar with the idea of priests. It's not like they've ever... I mean, where they came from, Mesopotamia, Babylon, uh, Egypt, all these places have priests. So they're familiar with the idea and the concept of priests. But they're, these are not educated PhD graduates that came out into the desert. These are rescued slaves what exactly does, and and even if they were really educated on priesthood, does God mean priesthood the way that we understand priesthood in Egypt or the way we understood priesthood in Babylon? It just raises a question. What do you mean, God, when you say a kingdom of priests? That's a weird thing to say. Not a kingdom with priests, but a kingdom of priests. You mean a whole kingdom of priests? So it just raises this question. What what is priest? Well, that's what Leviticus is. Leviticus ends up being a book that describes priesthood. So it kind of takes that owner's manual in the glove box and it takes it deeper. It kind of 2.0s that observation. To get a little bit more specific about that, Leviticus is the explanation of what priesthood looks like. When God said in Exodus, you would be for me a kingdom of priests, and God's people respond with, what does that mean? God says, I'm glad you asked. Let me show you the book of Leviticus. So uh, I want to go over the sections of Leviticus and and see what we can learn from that. Leviticus, a lot of people think Leviticus is just a big book of like a massive random group of laws. Don't eat this. Don't touch that. Don't wear this. But there's an absolute method to the madness of Leviticus. It's actually not madness at all. It's actually brilliant. Uh, So in Leviticus, the first section we could identify might be the section on atonement, chapters 1 through 7. This is where God describes sacrifices. It's as if God says, before we can talk about anything, like I can't talk about what it means to be a priest. I can't talk about who they are, what they wear, what they look like, or how they act. I can't talk to you about your diet or any of those kind of things. I can't talk about throwing festivals or parties until we deal with the fact that that you have a guilty conscience. You and I have to be made right. Uh, You have to be atoned for. If we don't deal with that core issue, we're not going to be able to talk about anything else and have it be heard correctly. Because if you hear a whole bunch of laws without having your conscience cleansed, as the book of Hebrews will tell us later, if you can't have a clean conscience, then if I talk to you about priesthood, you're going to get all hung up and well this is how I'm well this is how I'm made right by following all these laws that's how I'm made right god says no 
you have to understand that you are right with me. My call to live in obedience, God might say, my call is a missional call. This is about doing what I told Abraham we were going to do all the way back in Genesis, that all nations would be blessed through you. That's what the call of priesthood is about. It's not about getting to heaven. It's not about being saved. It's not about doing things right so that I can get on God's good, you know, be a part of God's team. You need to know that you and I are good. And what I'm asking you to do is not about making yourself good. It's about joining me as a partner in putting the world back together. So atonement ends up being the first. And we could talk a lot about the different sacrifices and things like that. Uh, and Well, I'm sure we can do that in our discussion groups. Um, but for now, we're going to move on. Section number two uh, is a section on priesthood. Now, there's kind of two sections of priesthood. And you might even have some alarms go off, some lights on your dashboard, if you're paying attention to this. Because there's two sections. We actually call it, the when we do this in discussion group, we often call it the priest witch, the priest sandwich. There's like two priesthood sections with a whole section in the middle. Um, but uh, priesthood in chapters 8 through 10, and then chapters 21 and 22, uh, it talks about what a priest does. The, the first part, chapters 8 through 10, talks about what a priest wears what a priest can do. A priest is going to have uh, a higher level of expectation placed on his uh, sexuality, placed on his uh, uh, the way that he dresses, placed on the things that he can and can't do in the way that he can and can't interact with the people and with God. He has, a, he has an additional set of rules that the typical Israelite does not have. Uh, which helps that Israelite understand why they have rules, because they're going to have rules that the Gentiles and the pagans don't have. So by watching the priest, they're going to get to understand what it means for them to be a priest. They have their own priest so that they can understand how to be a priest to the world around them. We'll get to that later. But the the first section is what a priest is going to do. The second section, the 21 and 22, chapter 21 and 22 section, is more of a section about, well, what happens when the priest screws up? This is who a priest is supposed to be. And when a priest isn't that, then what do you do? So you have kind of two sections of priesthood that kind of sit in there. Section number three. Oh, actually, before we move on to that, let's talk about, let's talk about what we learn about the priest here in these two sections. I often like to talk about the fourfold role of priesthood. There are really four things that a priest does uh, in this ancient world. And many of the, a lot of, mo- I would say probably all four of these things really span multiple cultures. This is just true of priesthood in general in the ancient world. But four things. First thing is that a priest puts God on display. You can actually see a picture of the high priest. That would be the high priest garb and outfit there in the, in the, uh, the picture on the slide. But you can tell, like if you can imagine that guy, walking around the desert uh, of the Negev. You got to walk around the Negev. Does that look like the outfit you would have uh, picked for your time in the desert? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I chose something very different. In fact. <laughs> yeah, this guy is supposed to look different. Like when you look at him, in fact, Josephus um, wrote about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And he said, uh, when, when, when the high priest came out on the day of atonement and all the people saw him, it was as, it was as if they had been ported into another dimension. Like there's a, there's a, 
it is a, it is a weird, wacky sight to see God's priests, especially God's high priests. And part of the reason that they dress so differently is because their God is different. So one of the things you learn by watching the priests, by physically watching the priests, one of the reasons that God has given you this tabernacle is to put it in the middle of your camp and have priests work at this tabernacle. And he says, watch my priests, and you're going to learn by watching your priests, you're going to learn how you can be a priest to the world around you. And so one of the things that you see is when you look at a priest, he looks different. He acts different. He does different things. And we're supposed to learn from that, that we're supposed to look different. We're supposed to act different. We are supposed to do different things because that's how we put our God on display, because our God is different. Uh, Our God is one of the things that I wear as a Jewish follower of Jesus is these tassels, zitziot. And these tassels are, you can't see them, I realize that, but... uh, they're all white, and I have one blue thread that hangs out the bottom of this tassel, as God commanded in the book of Numbers. We'll get there later. But this one blue thread, the Jews always said, well, well blue is the color of priesthood. You might notice in this picture, the priest is wearing a blue robe, and this is the color of priesthood. And so I have a bunch of white threads and one blue thread, and it's a reminder that we are supposed to be set apart. That's what the word holy means, by the way. When Leviticus says you are to be holy as God is holy, it doesn't help when our Greek version of Matthew translates perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Horrible translation. The quote comes from Leviticus. The quote is uh, kadosh. You are to be kadosh as your heavenly father is kadosh. And the word kadosh, the word for holy, means consecrated or set apart or different. When you look at a priest, he looks different. He stands out. Why? Because our God stands out. If you were to put all the gods of the world in a lineup, think about all those gods that he defeated in the story of the plagues. Geb and and Sobek and Hathor and Ra, and let's take uh, Baal from the Phoenicians, and let's grab uh, Ashtoreth from you know, any of the Canaanites and the Amorites, if you were to put them all in a room and put the God of the Bible, he stands out as different. Why? As we've seen in the story, why is our God different, Brent? Uh, Because he knows when to say enough. All right. Excellent. And he's, what else? How would you you describe it? He's loving. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to experience who we are. Absolutely. This God is different because he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Uh, This is who God is. And that makes him different than any of those other gods that we've listed. None of those gods are like that. So when we look at the priest, he looks funny because if we were to look at God, he looks funny in comparison to other gods. Uh, Next role of the priesthood is they help people navigate their atonement. So when they come to the tabernacle, they know that they've done something wrong and they've brought their sacrifice for whatever reason. Uh, and it's not just that they've brought their sacrifice whenever they've done something wrong, but even every day, morning and evening, the priest offers a sacrifice for all of Israel, for all of the sins that were committed on Israel's behalf, uh, a sacrifice, a goat is offered morning and evening. And uh, if you were to have to bring your own sacrifice for whatever reason, you bring it to the priest and the priest is going to help explain to you what's taking place at the altar. 
You, you might even have brought that because you're not an expert in Leviticus. God just gave you this whole book of rules. You don't know. So you, you screw up and you bring, you bring a dove to the tabernacle. Is this the right sacrifice? And the priest tells you yes. Or the priest says no. Actually, Leviticus tells us it needs to be a goat without blemish, one year old. You need to go back and get that. Um, and, and the priest helps you make sure your offering is the right offering. The priest helps you offer the offering correctly, and the priest explains to you. The priest helps you navigate this process that is going to cleanse your conscience, this process that's going to let you know that you and God are okay. Some of these sacrifices are actually meals, the fellowship offering. When you've wronged a relationship, you bring the person that you've wronged to the tabernacle, you bring a sacrifice, and you offer the portion to God, and then you sit down all together, you the person you've wronged and the priest, and you have this big meal. And the priest is the one that's going to walk you through that whole process and make sure that by the time you leave that space, you know that everything has been made right and you can leave here feeling atoned. Uh, Third thing a priest does is a priest intercedes on behalf of others. Now, what that means is, I have a little diagram here, is the priest sits in the middle in the gap between God and Israel, and the priest intercedes both directions. What I mean by that is the priest takes the things that God is trying to teach or tell or show Israel, and the priest kind of bridges the gap and explains to Israel what God is ordering or what God is trying to show us or what God's trying to, that was the whole navigation piece we just talked about. Uh, It also means that the priest stands before God and pleads on behalf of the people. Now we think, what do you mean? Like, what good is that going to do? Exactly what Moses did. You might think of Moses standing on Mount Sinai saying, God, don't hurt the people. Blot my name out of the book of of life, but don't hurt them. And, And that moment, Moses was, was functioning in a very priestly role. That's the role of a priest to stand in the gap. And again, if you go to the next slide, what you're going to see is that in that, uh, Israel is learning what their role is. Israel is learning that they are supposed to stand in the gap between God and the world to show the world what God is trying to teach them and to stand before God and plead for God's forgiveness and compassion and generosity on behalf of the world. So this is the priesthood is not just functional. The priesthood is also instructive, and that's important to see here in the book of Leviticus. Uh, and then the last thing the priest does is the priest distributes resources to those in need. Um, so people, there's always going to be people that have more than they need, more than enough, and there's always going to be people that need, they don't have enough. And the haves and the have-nots. And so the haves bring a little bit of their extra, or a lot of their extra, and they bring it to the temple or the tabernacle. And the priest, the priesthood is responsible for taking those resources. And some of them, God says, need to be used internally. And some of them they get in order to make a living for themselves. But all the rest, all of the abundance is supposed to be redistributed to those that have needs. So that's the fourth role of the priesthood. Uh, And that kind of helps us understand what God's trying to show them in Leviticus. All of this is in all of those laws that you and I read and we think, oh my goodness, this is so boring. If we actually understand what Leviticus is trying to accomplish, they take on a whole new life, kind of a life of their own. And next time somebody brings up a passage from Leviticus 9, because, you know, that could happen to you. Yeah. You can think, oh, 
this is this is part of the explanation of what it means to be a priest. Exactly. And you're referring to the story of Nadav and Avihu? Of course. Yeah. So <laughs> So I didn't pick that number randomly at all. <laughs> what I loved about that story was it really does show this very Nadav and Avihu, uh, they're the ones that come and they offer what was called common fire. Sometimes your Bible says profane and it actually adds to your confusion. Because the problem with Nadav and Avihu, uh, Nadab and Abihu, we say, um, they they are they are not taking their job seriously, and this is on the grand opening. Like this is this isn't like three years later when they're bored. This is on the grand opening day one of the ordination of the priesthood. They're in their offering. Midrash says they're also drunk because the very next thing that Moses commands them in Leviticus is they can't drink when they're on the job. They can't drink wine. Uh, so Midrash says they must have been drunk. But e- either way, they are not treating their role as priesthood as something sacred. They're treating it as something common as the actual Hebrew, just in- every day, any, just any day. Um, and, and they weren't holding their role as priesthood as something sacred. And so God consumes them with fire. And, uh, and that gives us the context for understanding that story a little bit. So the next section of Leviticus, section three, we might say chapters 11 through 20. This is what sits in the middle of that priest sandwich, the priest witch. And it's this whole section about eating kosher, kosher clothing, uh, what to do with infectious skin diseases, discharges, purity after, after childbirth, uh, sexuality, all of these laws that were like, oh my goodness, why in the world, why in the world do you have to eat kosher? Like what's wrong with pork? This is God's way of saying, okay, now that you know what it means to be a priest, I'm going to ask you to be a priest. So why no pork? Because I want you to be different. Why does the priest have to wear a blue robe? Why does the high priest have to wear a blue robe? Because God wanted him to be different. So why do we not eat pork? Because God wants us to be different. Is there something inherently wrong with pork? No. Well, I don't know. If you watch a pig rolling around <laughs> in the mud, it is a disgusting animal. Well, and lots of people have pointed out that there are a very practical advantages to following Torah. And I totally agree. I just don't think that was the primary reason that Leviticus was given. Um, that line of reasoning is not going to hold true throughout all the laws of Leviticus. And one of the things that God does say in Leviticus very clearly, he says, I'm giving you these laws to set, I believe it's actually in Leviticus 19 and 20. I believe he says it twice. I am giving you these laws to set you apart from the nations around you. This is what the nations that I drove out of Canaan did. And so I want you to be different. God deliberately and distinctly says that he's giving them these laws to be different. So that's why no pork. Not because, you know, and yeah, there's definitely the whole, I love to take my kids to the fair and we walk through the the pigs. And we all come out of there going, yeah, I'm okay not eating that. <laughs> but uh, so that that's section three, how to live as a priest. You're going to wear different clothes. You're going to eat different food. You're going to go about your sexuality differently. You're going to do all these things, not necessarily because there's anything inherently wrong with that, but because God wants you to be different and put him on display to the world around you. Uh, section four would be how to party Leviticus 23 and 24. Um, one of the things that God says is you have to party. If you don't party, I will destroy you. 
if you don't know how to take a break, and this might... Now, if you remember, what did we say the tent of meeting was? Brent, can you remember? Uh, tent of Moad or and, Seasons. And we said that was a callback to... Genesis 1. Genesis 1. So wouldn't it make sense that God has in Leviticus the Moad? These are the Moad. These are the... the I think it's Moadim uh, in plural. Um, these are the festivals, the seasons, the Sabbaths that God wants them to observe. I want you to party here, and I want you to party there, and I want you to party there. He gives them six major festivals that they are to observe. Um, One of them is a solemn assembly, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That is one day that's not a party. It's a day of complete fasting, restraint, and self-examination. But it's the only one. The other five... uh, the other five festivals are huge celebrations because God says, you have to remember that the story is good. You have to remember Genesis 1 because if you don't, uh, if you don't, you're going to forget because your human nature is going to tell you it's all about doing the right things, following all the right rules. You've got to know how to unplug, how to buy the filet mignon, how to get the big, nice bottle of wine. And yeah, maybe you won't do that most of your most of your days. In fact, it's good when you don't because then it makes the party that much more special. But you have to know how to splurge. You have to know when it's right to indulge. You have to know when it's right to say, we're going to party because tonight we need to remember what's most true about the world. Well, and I think you pointed out last time, the new NIV translates it sacred times. Yes. Like it is, it is a sacred moment. Yes. It is important. It is special. It is, you know. Definitely different. Yeah. And this was not something I was necessarily taught in the church growing up. I was not taught about the God who who commanded and ordained the party. I was told, stay away from the party. Those are dangerous. Don't go to those. People drink there. It's really bad. And that, that, uh, yes, when you're an adolescent, that's absolutely, those are bad things. But I got this other message preached at me, I think unintentionally. And that was that the party is ungodly. Well, when all you talk about are the parties that you can't go to, and you never talk about the parties you can go to, you have no outlet of party. Absolutely. And it's built into us. Absolutely. And the church universal, not a church, but the church universal that I grew up in did not know how to celebrate. We just avoided it because it was so dangerous. Like, don't celebrate. But this is a God in Leviticus that says, you will celebrate or I will destroy you. Because if you don't, you'll lose the plot of the story. And I think maybe... We might have lost the plot of the story in our own narrative. But I'll let you wrestle with that. Next section, section five. This is the last section that I always put in there, and that's the caring for the oppressed. Leviticus 25, 26, 27. This is about the Sabbath year, the year of Jubilee, setting slaves free. Uh, it also is going to have the section for rewards and punishments in there, 26. Uh, 20, tw- excuse me, 27 is... Um, uh, a really confusing chapter for many because it's all about like the value of all these different people. But the chapter is about redemption. So we read this and we're like, oh, this is so barbaric and sick. Like God's putting a price tag on like people and like men are more valuable than women and old people are less valuable than young people. And But what we what we don't understand is that in this world, the fact that God was giving a value to all these groups of people was massive because women weren't considered a part of humanity. They were considered something totally separate and different in, in the ancient world. So God says, no, no, all people have value 
And when they, when something happens that they find themselves outside the community, I need to give you a way to get them back into the community. That's what redemption is. Redemption, if you remember us talking about this before in the podcast, redemption is about bringing people back into the family, buying them back into your family. And God says, I'm going to give you a medium, a vehicle, a method that when people get lost, you can get them back. And that, that gives us a new appreciation for Leviticus 27. So there's two things I wanted to point out before we were done today. How are we doing here? Uh, 32 minutes, right on schedule. All right. Two things that uh, uh, we, uh, I want to talk about before we're done. Uh, next slide there. One of those is that Leviticus ends up being uh, this massive chiasm. I mean, if you were to listen to that sermon series that we're going to link from real life, we actually try to dive into this a few different ways um, within that sermon series, and it would be uh, good to dive into that. But uh, Leviticus ends up being a chiasm. And obviously you can see there the outermost level, kind of the bookend level is the rituals of redemption. Uh, and then, and one of the things that I love about Paul Patterson, he pointed this out. Paul pointed out uh, that on the front half of Leviticus, it's, it's about me approaching God as the individual. But on the back half of Leviticus, on the back end of the chiasm, it's about me helping others find their way back to God. And I love that he pointed that out. That is so brilliant because the rituals of redemption, chapters one through seven, well, that's about my atonement, but the rituals of redemption on the back half of Leviticus, well, that's about other people's atonement. That's about other people knowing that they belong in the story. And then priesthood, uh, who is a priest supposed to be? Versus on the other side of the story, what happens when the priest screws up? How do we get them back? Um, and then the holiness code, chapters 11 through 15, how am I supposed to live for my own personal holiness? And the back half of the holiness code, chapters 17 through 20, that's how, what does holiness look like in the way that I interact with other people? So the front half is me, the back half is others. And right in the middle sits the day of atonement. So apparently this whole book of Leviticus, this whole manual in the glove box is about God taking my sin and getting rid of it. It's about, because the day of atonement is talked about later. Like it doesn't need to be here. If you're watching, reading Leviticus, if you're watching the way it's laid out, day of atonement in chapter 16 of Leviticus sticks out like a sore thumb. It should not be there. It is the weirdest thing that's dropped right in the middle of what's going on. You have all these laws. And then all of a sudden we're going to talk about the day of atonement, a holiday, which should come in Leviticus 23 and 24 and does but some reason we're going to have this huge discussion about it in Leviticus 16. So you can hear us talk about that in the, in the, the sermon series there. But the day of atonement was the day where God brought two goats to the tabernacle. One goat was offered on your behalf. And this time the blood goes the other direction. Every single sacrifice in Leviticus, the blood goes into the tabernacle. It starts at the altar and goes into the tabernacle. And you get this visual picture of your sin being taken into the tabernacle. Like every day, all the sacrifices, your blood goes in and gets stored up in the tabernacle. Like that tabernacle must be getting pretty darn full of sin. But then on the day of atonement, when that goat is sacrificed, this time the blood goes inside first and comes out, 
we don't ever catch that because we hardly read Leviticus. And on the rare chance we do read Leviticus, we're not paying attention to the details. But the blood goes the opposite direction. It goes out of the tabernacle. It gets put on the second goat. Remember, I said there were two goats. It gets put on the second goat called the scapegoat, or in the Hebrew, the Azazel. And that goat gets taken off into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And as Isaiah said later in their story, God has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. God takes your sin and gets rid of it. And again, I'm here listening to the same lesson that I've listened to all throughout Torah. The same lesson as Noah with God's bow in the clouds. The same lesson with Abraham and the blood path covenant. With Isaac and the binding of Isaac in Genesis. With Exodus and God saying, strike the rock, um, Moses and all... Over and over and over again, God says, I get rid of your sin. The thing that you think keeps you from my presence, the thing that you're ashamed of, the thing that you think defines you, I get rid of it. So that's one thing. And the last thing I would point out is I would go back to this slide of the fourfold role of priesthood. And I would close this discussion by just having us contemplate and wrestle with as this comes This discussion wraps up if whether or not we, in our walk of faith, Peter told us, this wasn't just an Exodus conversation. Peter called back to Exodus and he told the New Testament believers, he says, don't you know that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood? So we too are priests. So are we functioning in the fourfold role of priesthood? I would ask these four questions. First of all, Do you and I put God on display in our culture? Or do we look, as Christians, do we look exactly the same? I know we believe in Jesus and we go to church on Sunday. But is there anything distinct about the way we look, about the way we... I don't want to get hung up in the details of dress or diet or... But is there anything physically different? If you were to put us in a lineup with other people in the world, do we stand out at all? If the answer is no, I think we have to visit that question. Uh, Secondly, do we help people navigate their atonement? Do we know how to explain to people that they can stand right before God? Do we know how to do that? Third, do we intercede on behalf of others? And this one just gets me, man. Uh, In the Christian church today, we do not intercede on behalf of others. We will actually go out of our way to stand in the gap and block others from God's presence. We will make sure we go out of our way to make sure that people know they're not welcome, that they're outside the will of God. Like we will line up in droves to make political statements, to protest, uh, to, to make sure we support by the millions believers showed up to stand outside of Chick-fil-A to support a position rather than stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of people like my heart just hurts because we don't fulfill our role as priesthood. We should be standing in the gap trying to find any loophole imaginable to stand before God and say, God, I hope you let them in. I hope your grace goes that far. I hope your love is that big. I hope they're at the table too. Uh, But we spend most of our time saying, oh, those people aren't in and those people aren't in and they're outside the will of God and those people are sinners. It's just not our call as priesthood. And then finally, uh, do we distribute resources to those in need? Um, 
Are, are, are we examining our lives for things that we have in abundance and making sure that we're sharing all of these things, these four things here on this slide were things that the early church did and it changed the world. So my question as we study Leviticus is, are these things that are true of us as well? And what kind of changes do we need to make? So there you go. 30,000 foot view of Leviticus. 30,000, not even 10,000, 30,000. Or 10,000. 10,000 if you don't have to pressurize the cabin. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, if you live on the Palouse, join us for discussion groups in Moscow on Tuesday or in Pullman on Wednesday. Once again, we do want you to write in and let us know if you've got any of those groups going on anywhere else in the country. So get on the contact form on baymondiscipleship.com. You can find Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. You can find me at EIBCB. And you can find more details about the show at baymondiscipleship.com. Thanks for joining us on the Baymond Podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon.